So there was a very important story in the news the other day. I don't know if you saw it. Mm. And uh, it did happen to coincide. Uh, it was actually just, uh, I believe, one day before the Marine Corps birthday. Mm. Uh, happy birthday, Marines. I know we got a couple listeners out there. HFB, USMC. So there was uh, a pair of aviators that uh, actually got outed because of Twitter. There's oh, a, I've seen this. Yeah, where it was... Uh, uh, they're, they're, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't think of the name of it. Was it like Flight Paths or it's at, uh, we'll link to it in the yeah. bio. But um, they made a a suspicious and obscene image in their flight path. But by that you mean enormous dick in the sky. It was right? a penis. It was a giant penis. It was an enormous penis. It was like five miles long. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was the length of the lake. <laughs> and it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, like, like right next to a bombing range, too. So, yeah, like for scale, there's an artillery range. And it's out of Miramar. Yeah. And uh, one of our, uh, we don't want to name drop, but there was a, a, a guy that we know. Uh, his father is part of the, the JAG Corps in Miramar. So I sent him a message. And I was like, please, please tell me <laughs> that your dad's yeah. in on this. Because I wanted, I'm, and I'm still looking in on this. Uh, it hasn't gone to trial yet, but yet, yet, that's the operative word, uh, because the dudes had to lawyer up. They got a a criminal defense attorney, (laughs) and they are in a shitload of trouble because some Twitter account narked on them for making a giant (laughs) dick. (laughs) Wang in the sky keeps on turning. Don't right, so, know where I'll be tomorrow. Well, we're not here to talk about giant sky dicks. Well, I mean, we well, are. We are, but, but you, you know, like if you got our number, text us, and we're all we're, over this. But we're here to talk about some fire and stuff, everybody. Welcome back to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. I'm Rob North, and I am your co-host Chris Miller. And today we are talking. We're we're, we're continuing with our our thread in uh, 2018 of going through the life of a man who. Uh, Left this world and left us his legacy 300 years ago, almost to the day now. We're coming up on about a week and a half until his final final demise. And that man is Edward Teach, Blackbeard himself. And what we're going to be talking about today is quite possibly the most batty nuggets, cuckoo bananas, balls out crazy act ever undertaken by a pirate. It's just nuts. It's, 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 it's just, insane. It's just nuts. There really wasn't a lot, like there wasn't... A set end game here. It was just no. like we can probably do this, yeah. so we should definitely do this. And and what that act was was his blockade of Charleston Harbor in South Carolina. And uh, there's a surprising amount of people who don't know anything about this, and it's it's an incredible story, and and it's just a, such a such a middle finger to authority and 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 to power and it's 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 kind of beautiful so i think we're going to get straight into it first before we do that i'd like to take a moment to go over the sources we used for uh, for this episode today we're going to start with blackbeard america's most notorious pirate by angus constum a source we've used before actually we've um, we've used all these sources before uh, we also have charleston and the golden age of piracy by christopher bird downey and finally, of course, we have A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson, written 1724, likely by Daniel Defoe. I have this as an ebook, and and I was highlighting passages. Yeah. And some of them, it'll, it'll either like search or translate, and it 
tried to translate one, and it just came back like, I don't know. I have no <laughs> fucking like, idea. I, everything's hyphenated, and there's a bunch of capital letters. It, it, was, just, it was like, I, yeah. I have no idea. I it's, know six million languages, and I have absolutely yeah. no idea. What's great is the printing and the syntax is all still in that early 18th century style. And even, be, like, all the goofy old letters, like uh, like when Massachusetts had, like, the weird Fs instead of the Ss. Oh, yeah. Those are in there, but they're Fs. Yeah. <laughs> It uses modern printing, so it's just the letter F. It's not the stylized S. It's just an F. Yeah. So should we get right into it? Let's go for it. All right. So, Charlestown. Now, Charleston, South Carolina in 1718 was the primary port in England's southern American colonies. Pivotal not only to the brisk trade being done out of the burgeoning southern colonies in cotton, tobacco, rice, lumber, indigo but also the very busy slave trade. There was a lot of cash coming in and out of this port. And as the Carolina colony's uh, oldest and largest settlement, it was the colony's capital. It was named for England's King Charles II. It was two years short of uh, existing for half a century. Boasted a population of almost 5,000, many of them successful merchants. So this place had some, some cash. It's situated on a point of land reaching into a deep natural harbor, set about three miles back from a narrow channel. Um, so the place is well protected from bad weather. It's a good sheltered harbor. It's less vulnerable to attack. Uh, despite the many wars between the major European powers that had broken out since the city's inception, it had been attacked only once in 1706 when the city's militia easily repulsed a joint French and Spanish expedition to take the city. The greatest consistent threat to the city were strong hurricanes that sometimes strike the eastern seaboard and occasional strong earthquakes. So while the city uh, boasted some pretty strong defenses, such as Johnston's Fort and an impressive city wall, since the end of the War of Spanish Succession in 1713, they've been neglected, and the citizenry had gotten pretty complacent. This was all about to change. So, like until this point, uh, Charleston had, uh, like, like you said, had its share of visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fairly friendly with pirates. Yeah, they were. Uh, and it's it's mainly because the War of Spanish Succession, mm-hmm. uh, the pirates that were coming and going were their countrymen. These yeah. guys were English, and they trusted these well, guys. during the war, it was a major privateer base. Yes. Yes, and they were, they were very friendly with these pirates. And then all of a sudden, the pirates just decided, huh, we should probably just blow the shit out of Charleston. Yeah. Well, they had their eyes on all the money that was in there. Well, who could blame them? Yeah. So on May 22nd, 1718... A small fleet of four ships carrying some 300 men, one of them a large square-sailed French merchantman bristling with extra cannon, the others all small, agile sloops were seen approaching Cummins Point from the south. At the command of this flotilla was none other than the pirate Edward Teach, the infamous Blackbeard, who'd spent the last year on an absolute tear, capturing ship after ship. He'd become a true bete noir for the English in this part of the world. So while it was a common practice for pirates to cruise in the waters near port cities so as to place themselves in a target-rich environment, Teach was about to make a move that would truly cement him as the most legendary pirate in history. As contrary to previous practices, Teach was not approaching Charlestown to make a fortune in plunder. He could have done that at far less risk in waters further away. He was there to make a point. And what that point is, we kind of don't know. It's, it's very, very strange because if he wanted to make a boatload of money... Which, he was there to make a boatload of married, money. Yeah. But it wasn't there. The money wasn't there. The gold, the silver wasn't there. This dude had just spent February, March, and April off of like uh, like Honduras and Belize mm-hmm. looking for 
heard about all these Spanish ships and and there were uh, like English English galleys in the water, like the Protestant the, Caesar and other ships like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one he was after for sure, I know, was the Royal Prince, mm-hmm. and um, and the Adventure was one of her her uh, escorts. It was a forty gun man of war. Yeah, that uh, he learned was like he got word that. Like, the crew was sick, it was grossly undermanned, and he could have taken both of these in one fell swoop. And I, you can find a couple letters uh, that, are, that are still out there. Some of the correspondence is still there. You can find it online. Mm-hmm. Um, he was right. Yeah. He was absolutely right. And then just for some reason... He had good intel. Yeah. It was perfect. He just left. Well, he was also out there hunting a, a warship called the HMS Scarborough, which was a 30-gun British frigate. Yeah. Because now that he had the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was the biggest, baddest pirate vessel, not just in the in the This man Caribbean. was like six weeks away yeah. from a 30-gun frigate and a 40-gun man of war. The, he would have been The adventure was the most powerful warship in the hemisphere. Yeah. Warship, not pirate ship, which is what the Queen Anne's Revenge was. It, I mean, it was retrofitted for combat. Yeah. This was an actual warship. We're going to get to that in a bit. Yeah. We're going to get to that in a bit. Absolutely. And that, and uh, apparently, according to his... And this is a lot of hearsay and conjecture, which you will find is true in a lot of our pirate episodes. Um, we don't have Blackbeard's journal anymore. There are a lot of remarks on Blackbeard's mm-hmm. journal. Unfortunately, it's been lost to history. But... Uh, after just taking like wood and molasses, uh, they ran out of rum. Ran out of rum. They needed Morel tanks. He's like, oh shit, we gotta get, like, who, who's gonna have rum? It's time like, for a big move. Like, Charleston probably got rum. It's, okay, it's time cool. for the money moves, baby. <laughs> so, given that flotillas of trade vessels were a common sight anchored off of the shallow channels into Charleston Harbor, the town's pilot boat travels out to put a pilot on board the largest vessel to guide them through the, sh- the shallows to a deeper anchorage. So once the town's pilot boards the Queen Anne's Revenge, it's suddenly and disastrously clear that they're not going to let him go. Right. <laughs> Mamma mia! <laughs> We're back to this great. <laughs> and so he climbs aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge, and all of a sudden, okay, I now have a bunch of pistols pointed at me. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> And then he becomes the first prisoner taken by the pirates in their blockade, and he wouldn't be the last. Within only a few minutes, a merchant vessel called the Crowley... Mr. Crowley! Sorry, I had to get that out. (laughs) Which was following the pilot boat out through through these channels, left the harbor bound for London, carrying a uh, cargo of barrels of rice, but also a large uh, contingent of passengers and all of their baggage. Her commander, a Captain Clark, and all aboard were immediately captured and were now in the power of Teach's pi- pirates, although they would all be kept unharmed for now. So on the first day, darkness falls. The population of the town noticed absolutely nothing was amiss. I mean, they really didn't pay any attention. And they slept securely in their beds that night. The next day, everybody's still completely in the dark. Next day brings more success as another London-bound vessel, unnamed in the records under a Captain Craig was captured as she crossed the bar, and with, with by the end of the day, another vessel had fallen into pirate hands, leaving the harbor, and uh, two mer- small merchant ships sailing into the harbor, and a slaver brigantine from Angola were all captured traveling towards Charleston, and of the human cargo on this slaver brigantine, 14 members of the crew, of the, of the slaves aboard, actually joined Teach's crew. Which was not uncommon. Pretty common. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty it common. Was, it made a lot of sense if you were a pirate. 
Well, they had a theory that up to half of the crew of the Queen Anne's Revenge would have been Blackbeard, free slaves. Blackbeard's crew was unbelievably steep yeah. in in freed slaves. But very diverse. I mean, if you're if you're Blackbeard, it's a pretty easy sell. It's easy recruiting. It's a pretty easy sell. And if you're a slave, it's a pretty good offer mm-hmm. because one, you really don't have a home to go back to. You've been separated from your family, and you probably want to kick the shit out yeah. of the Dutch. And you don't want to be a slave anymore. Yeah, and because being a slave, it kind of <laughs> sucks. Uh, you know, the worst part about being a slave is the hours. And <laughs> they don't pay you. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all it is about yeah. being a slave. Thank you, Futurama. So. Uh, by this time, thanks to fishermen and other small boats witnessing the goings-on at the entrance to the harbor, word had gotten back to the town about exactly what they were facing. So by now, none of the eight remaining merchant vessels still in harbor could put to sea, and there were no military vessels in the harbor to counterattack and drive Teach's vessels off. So for the merchants of Charleston, this is a disaster in the making, because they're envisioning rotting cargoes sitting in the holds of the ship that could go nowhere, or perhaps even these pirates making landfall and pillaging the warehouses and stately mansions of the town. Charles Johnson captured the mood thus, quote, All of these things being done in the face of the town struck a great terror to the whole province of Carolina, having just been visited before by Vane, another notorious pirate. As a pause, this is in reference to Charles Vane's raid on the harbor uh, that had taken place, uh, the captured eight ships itself, it was actually several months after this. Uh, Johnson actually gets his yeah, dates Yeah, I was going to say, up. Johnson has it wrong, because yeah. that was a copycat crime from Vane. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vane really didn't set up a blockade. He just went in and wrecked up the yeah. joint, which was kind of Vane's style. Mm-hmm. Blackbeard... Which like, is a more traditional pirate tactic, the smash and grab. Right. Now, Blackbeard, it, 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 like I said, a lot of this stuff's here saying conjecture. We really don't know the guy's name, but... We can kind of figure that he was a Navy man because mm-hmm. his his journal was passed around from Navy officer to Naval officer after his death to study the dude's tactics because yeah. he was that good at what he did. Mm-hmm. So to continue the quote, They had abandoned themselves to despair, being in no condition to resist the pirate's force. They were eight sail in the harbor ready for sea, but none dared to venture out, it being almost impossible to escape their hands. The inward-bound vessels were under the same unhappy dilemma, so the trade of this place was totally interrupted. What made these misfortunes heavier to them was the long, expensive war the colony had had with the natives, which was but just ended when the robbers infested them. That's one thing a lot of people forget, is that when when this blockade happened, the Carolina colony had just finished a seven-year war with the native population called the Yamasee War. it's not over yet. I mean, it's it's essentially over, but there's still a lot of still a little bit of skirmishing yeah. happening, and wars are expensive. Mm-hmm. You have to pay to upgrade the town's defenses. You have to pay for the militia to be out constantly. You, yeah, it's you've got to keep getting new militiamen. Mm-hmm. Every war comes with casualties. Uh, a letter from Governor Robert Johnson to London's Council of Trade and Plantations also captures the mood. Quote. The unspeakable calamity this poor province suffers from pirates obliges me to inform your lordships of it in order that his majesty may know it and be induced to afford us the assistance of a frigate or two to cruise hereabouts upon them, for we are continually alarmed and our ships taken to the utter ruin of our trade. End quote. So within a week of appearing off the harbor entrance, actually 
less than that, probably as little as a few days. Teach and his ships have captured at least eight prizes, dozens of wealthy hostages, and a completely closed-off trade into the American colony's primary southern port. I mean, this is a major city. This is below Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Charleston, in order of population. That's how it goes in the colonies at this time. So this is an act that had not been equaled before, certainly not by pirates without any particular national backing, and the Royal Navy is in no position to do anything about it. The Navy's thinly stretched, having its presence in the Americas scaled back significantly after the end of the War of Spanish Succession, and any ships large enough to take on the Queen Anne's Revenge were at least several hundred miles away. The closest was probably Williamsburg, Virginia. Definitely New York. As th The next closest may be Bermuda, Jamaica, um, Barbados. You're, you're going to have to go anywhere from a few hundred to a couple thousand miles. And that's if you to want to just have a go with the Revenge, which already has a tactical advantage mm -hmm. and also has three sloops. Yeah, it's a 40-gun ship. Mm -hmm. The largest naval vessel in the area at this time had 32 guns. And you're probably talking about close to a dozen guns with the other three. Well, no, we know the Adventure was there, and we know how many guns she had. Yeah, the Adventure oh, had 12 guns. Yeah, so um, that's six aside. Or no, the, the Revenge had 12 guns, the Adventure had at least eight. As far as we know, I think the fourth vessel they had was an unarmed little tender. Yeah, that's we were just talking about yeah. that. Um, with all the stuff that we have, and believe it or not, this is one of the... The times where we have a lot more concrete evidence mm -hmm. of what had happened. These aren't a lot of stories and sailor stories and things like that. We don't know what the fourth ship was. We yeah. know the adventure was there. We know the revenge was there. And Steed Bonnet, yeah, boys, yeah, boys, Steed was not the captain. No, <laughs> he was not it was his ship, he was, but he, he was, was not in charge there. there. He was there. He paid to have the fucking thing built. <laughs> And they just went, no, you suck at this. Our yeah, ship now. Just, uh, yeah, anywho. anywho See Steve. episode three, Steed Bonnet, Gentleman Dipshit, for more information. <laughs> so the Navy's thinly stretched. They can't do anything about it, at least not for a while, until uh, the Carolina colony can dispatch for assistance. You have to go overland. Yeah, you have to go overland. Oops. So what Teach does next is truly mind-boggling. So to quote Charles Johnson again, quote, Teach detained all the ships and prisoners, and, being of want of medicines, resolved to demand a chest from the government of the province. Accordingly, Richards, captain of the Revenge, Sloop, with three, two or three more pirates, were sent up along with Mr. Marks, one of their prisoners, whom they had taken in Clark's ship, and very insolently made their demands, threatening that if they did not send immediately the chest of medicines and let the pirate ambassadors return without, return without offering any violence to their persons, they would murder all their prisoners, send their heads to the governor, and set the ships they had taken afire. It's probably my favorite of your accents so far. <laughs> and I, I've, I have many. I'm a human tower of Babel. So, although pretty descriptive, this passage misses a lot of the subtleties of what actually occurred as Teach decides to open negotiations with the city authorities. Oh, yeah. His first target is a guy named Samuel Ragg, who's a member of the colony's ruling council. This is equivalent to... Why did they have every important person on the same boat? Like, pretty much everybody that it would have been cool to capture except for, like, the lieutenant governor... Yeah. Was on this boat. He just got him. Yeah, he just I don't got know. him. They're like, ah, oh, <laughs> doggone it! You hoodwinked me, Blackbeard, you scoundrel. Yeah. And I would have succeeded too if it wasn't for you meddling, <laughs> murderous fiends. But so Samuel Ragg, he's basically the equivalent of a state senator. He's also a wealthy and influential merchant. 
He's been captured aboard the Crowley. Mr. Crowley. Last time, I swear to God. I'll probably get to doing it. We know I have a hard time letting things He's go. the first to be chosen as an emissary between the two parties. He's an ideal choice, not only because of his standing and influence with the council, but also because he was accompanied by his infant son, William, who would have served as a hostage in order to ensure Rag's good behavior and return to the fleet. Batiste changes his mind. We don't know why. He changes his mind. He decides that Rag would better serve as a hostage aboard the ship and instead sent the aforementioned Mr. Marks. No idea the guy's first name. No, it's just Mr. Marks. I searched or Marks. A whole, whole bunch of different sources. It's Mark Marks. And he sends Marks and his escort ashore with the list of medical supplies that were in dire need aboard the flotilla. Now, you were talking about these medical supplies. Would yeah. you like to enlighten us a little bit on what you think they might have been? Well, for a while, the 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 like it just comes up as medical supplies. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been on a boat, you know that it's especially like in the Caribbean. These guys catch really weird diseases. We've touched on this before. Yeah. The biggest killer, uh, like uh, we were just talking about the, uh, I'm sorry, what was the name of the ship? Uh, the the adventure, the the uh, escort, the man of war. The reason the crew was laid low, they all got really sick. Half yep. of them died. Yellow they, fever. It was yellow fever. It killed half of the crew. It wiped through it. This, however, was not the case for the gentlemen aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge and their cohorts back well, in Nassau. Well, they think it may have also yellow fever may have also played a role into it potentially, but that's well because prior. Oh, well, here's why prior to the, found prior. Okay, <laughs> this is all this is all theory. This is all theory. But teach, prior to this blockade, Teach's flotilla had spent several months cruising in the West Indies and off of Central America, both in the areas known to be nesting grounds for these tropical diseases, particularly yellow fever. To which these these English sailors have yeah. no natural resistance. No, none at all. And and yellow fever is spread by mosquitoes. And they were sailing off of an area called the Mosquito Coast. So, But yellow fever causes severe fever, chills, vomiting, diarrhea, and it gives you jaundice. That's where it gets its name from. Brought on yeah. by kidney and liver failure. Yeah, your, your insides it's, start turning off. It's pretty nasty. I mean, it's, it's yellow fever term, still kills about 50,000 people a year today. Yeah. Mosquito nets are, um, yeah. are one of the most important things that you can send to UNICEF. Absolutely. Still, it is 2018 and we are losing the war on mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, but aside from yellow fever, I'm going to kick it right back to you. Thanks. I'm glad I get to talk about this. Like whenever we, I got the ball back for uh, gay pirate marriage. Thanks for that one. Uh, the, the pirates of Nassau uh, contracted many a social disease as it is listed <laughs> as it is listed in in a lot of our source material uh which is to say uh the one disease that probably ended the the illustrious career career of al capone and caused many a nose to just fall off which it does if it's untreated and it's super messed up syphilis, syphilis. Oh, yeah. So there's a bunch of syphilitic sailors. (laughs) Good old venereal disease. That are in need of a miracle cure. Rob, what is our miracle cure for syphilis in 1718? Remember, boys, flies spread disease, so keep yours closed. (laughs) So the miracle cure for syphilis in the early part of the 18th century, brace yourselves, everybody, was a treatment of mercury. It doesn't by, sound so bad. It doesn't sound so bad. I mean, it sounds pretty bad now, because let's remember, it's liquid mercury. Liquid mercury. Mercury is a metal. <laughs> and when they say injection, they don't mean... <laughs> oh, boy. A tiny little... Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not a flu I, shot. I'm, 
I'm taking a sip of my beer to oh my God, prepare I drank myself all for my this. Beer. I drank all my beer. Uh, a quick energy. Oh, thank you. Oh, you absolute weapon. That's me. Uh, oh, what are we drinking right now? Well, as a matter of fact, today's today's beer is Bell's The Oracle Double India. I, or I'm sorry, Double India Pale Ale. It is gorgeous. It is a fantastic double IPA. If you guys yeah. are afraid of hoppy beer, don't be afraid of this. And Bell's, if you're listening, send us money. And we'll keep drinking your beer. Or just send us beer. And or we'll just send us beer. Like, I, and we'll talk I really about don't it. care about the monetization about this. I just care about more beer, especially if it's as good as the Oracle. So when they say injection, they don't mean a, a tiny modern hypodermic needle into like the upper arm. Oh, no, they don't. It, oh, no, they absolutely so do not. The key discovery... And the syringe kind of looks like... Uh, we're we're going to get to that. I was going to say... Like, the key discovery oh that was God. prevalent to this this theory <laughs> oh God. was when they were diving on the wreck of the Queen Anne's Revenge, and I think mm-hmm. they found this particular object sometime in the late 90s. It was, was right after they like accidentally found the ship. Yeah. They found a... can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. <laughs> a metal urethral syringe. Hell yeah. Complete with this, and I quote, intimidating curved funnel-shaped tip. And this the analysis exists of the- in real life. It's in a museum. Yeah. I'm posting the pictures because I want all of you to know what this I, looks I like. I want you to join our nightmare. We have had to deal with this, and now you do too. Yep. So they no will just now. inject liquid metal into your pee hole. And it's big. It's Oh, God. It's big. It it's, look, it's about the size of a turkey baster. Oh it's nasty. God. Oh, it it's nasty. Big. It kind of looks like, like an apparatus you would use to, like... Rescue the Tin Man in Oz. Jesus, like, it, it's it, just so macabre this, and horrible. Yeah, it, it's it's fucking horrifying. So, I can't believe that people survived medicine for as long as they did. Yeah, but so they they did an analysis of residue found within the syringe, and it contained high concentrations of mercury. It <laughs> still contained mercury, and it was in the goddamn so, ocean for 245 yeah. years or some shit. So, or no, guys, they found it in the yeah, 90s. We're going to take a giant curved syringe, we're going to inject liquid metal into your penis. Oh, God. <laughs> His pipe is He's clean! Beat no. you to the cabin boy reference, you <laughs> shit. I didn't bet gotcha. you, you couldn't, but I'm gotcha. so proud of you. I'm so, so proud. Do you want to tell everybody about the picture I made? Uh, We'll just post it later. I'll just post it. Rob loves Cabin Boy. It's like his favorite movie ever. <sighs> and uh, I'm, he has erotic Cabin Boy fan fiction. I'll post the picture. <laughs> so, it's about yeah, so this was likely needed either because, you know, the, the crew's sojourns to Hispaniola and the Gulf of Honduras weren't as pastoral as you would think. <laughs> or, or the crew members had just uh, gone about their normal business in New Providence the previous year, and now syphilis at that point would have reached its very painful second stage. There's just noses falling off. And uh, well, no, that's that's swollen. even later. That's about three or four years in, as far as I know. So either way, this reflects the priority given to medical supplies. Yeah. There's dudes just like gaping bullet wounds like, this will be fine, I'll walk it off. What yeah. do you have for the other part? Oh, so, <laughs> th- th- let's move on from this, please. I'm starting to feel a little what a ill. What great aside, though. I love it. This was a good one. This was the keeper. This I, was, almost... I was reading this and just out loud in my apartment alone going, oh, no. Uh, when I saw the picture, I gave it a Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because there's a ruler next to it, just in case you need to know how oh, yeah. big this thing is that you're jamming up. Got something up. for scale. Oh, uh, well, jamming up, uh, you know. <laughs> anyway. 
So given the state of disrepair of the town's defenses and the general fear and despair um, permeating the city as a result of this economic misfortune and Teach's fearsome reputation, uh, Teach definitely has the upper hand. All he had to do was wait. And so a lot, a lot of historians have found it pretty curious that Teach didn't demand any money uh, and only the medical supplies. Now, the medical supplies would have been worth hundreds of pounds. Uh, but I, th I think this, this whole thing, as I said earlier, is definitely about sticking his thumb in the eye of the English crown. It's about making a statement, and it's about enhancing his own reputation. I have a hot take. Go ahead. I have a spicy hot take. G give me the spicy hot Here's take. a spicy hot take. Now, what we know about Blackbeard, and, and I think with all the books that we've, we've read and purchased just so that we can proudly like put on our bookshelves, I don't think he wanted to admit that he fucked up and there wasn't any gold and silver. Hmm. I think he wanted to really show off. That might have something to do with it. I think, like, everything we know about this dude is a tactician. I think he wanted to prove that he was a better tactician, that his timing was better, that his intelligence was better, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, in this one, it was kind of off because he had just... It wasn't even there was, in like, bad intel. He just assumed that there would have been more gold and silver. There would have been more valuables. And there were a lot, yeah. but just not at the time. No, but and not did. in the city coffers. It would have been the personal property. It, exactly. Of, like, he would have gotten... And, was, and we see this... That with, was mostly for the incoming... Yeah. And we see this with privateer raids from people like Henry Morgan, where... You can raid a settlement, and yeah, their coffers That's are empty. That's why Vane went. But That's you're why still Vane able went, and to, he made a shitload of money. Yeah, you're still able to demand a ransom to go away, and it, they have to pull it from people's personal wealth yeah. and not it, taxes and whatever. Now, you're not going to get a lot of personal wealth at the time because Charlestown is in... It, it's in a bad way. Mm. It's in a bad way. I mean, they're, they're coming off of a seven-year war with yeah. the natives, it, it, which did not go well. Yeah, I so mean, that, that could have gone yeah. either way. So of course now these the the, the captured vessel, vessels, the cargo, uh, the valuables of the prisoners would help make it worthwhile. Uh, uh, but there are easier ways of going about getting medical supplies. But yeah, it's about reputation. It's I, about proving a point. And that this was this was dick waving. Yeah, that's what it was. This was dick waving. Well, I have another hot take, slightly milder than your hot take. Okay, I think maybe one of the reasons he did this. Because he was still riding high off the capture of the Queen Anne's Revenge. He knows if he gets another big vessel or two, he's going to be absolutely unstoppable. He blockades Charleston. He draws out the major Royal Navy vessels to make an attempt to capture them. If now he, can get he them might one have a shot time, at that adventure. If, if he can get them one at a time and piecemeal, the addition of a frigate or two to his fleet from the Royal Navy not only devastates the Royal Navy presence in the area, it means that the only way he's going to be stopped is if England itself decides to bring his activities to a halt by dispatching a full naval squadron from home waters, which is an expensive thing to do. And it simply won't happen. And it gives him leverage to negotiate, to negotiate a pardon. Because at this point, I don't think he'd heard about the pardon that was no, on offer from Woods Rogers. And we'll, we'll touch on that yeah. one momentarily. Yeah, now there's a possibility he did, which we will get to. But I think this might have been the chance to capture another large ship to make him truly unstoppable, to multiply his threat level, yeah. and to give him a bargaining chip at the negotiating table with the English government. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely that's, all makes sense. That's a possibility we, in my like mind. Like I said, unfortunately, we don't know. But mm -hmm. we do know that his journal existed, and it sucks that it's oh, gone. I'm so mad we lost it. it. A lot of people are, are very mad that it's gone. Those people are yeah. you know, like... Rhodes Scholars and the like, and we're making a podcast in my kitchen <laughs> drinking beer, talking about yeah. dick syringes. 
And Cabin Boy. There's our episode name. <laughs> There's our episode name. So, the waiting pays off. After five days, Marks returns along with his pirate escort, all unharmed. The English, you know, and the English and Charleston hold up their end of the bargain and deliver to teach the news that his demands were being met. Within a day, the chest of medical supplies had been gathered and delivered. Now, at this point, Teach's men release their 80 or so hostages, although not before stripping them of their cash, valuables, and fine clothing, because you know his real hands look banging in that bodice dress. Mmm. girl. <laughs> uh, according to Charles Thick. Johnson, it's worth some like 1,500 pounds, which is about $450,000 in today's money. And while that seems like a lot, bear in mind this is being split amongst 300 men. And some reports say it's almost 400. Yeah. So yeah, that number even goes down. Oh, hi, the dog's away. So, you know, that's not a lot. Um, but in addition, they get alcohol, they get provisions, supplies, and they do take some cargo from the captured vessels. Oh, here's here's a fun thing. And I was talking about how this is almost all hearsay and conjecture. This is one time where we're going to talk about pirates, and we have paperwork. Yeah. Charleston's custom records for the weeks preceding the list are incredible. It lists all the intercepted cargoes. Yeah. We know exactly what he took. And it was, I mean... It's pitched tar and rice. Mm-hmm. There was some flour and shit like that. But some flour, for some the molasses, first time, stuff like that. But there, uh, we yeah. actually know what happened, which is absolutely fascinating. How much? Yeah, shit we have we full ship manifests. Yeah, we know. We know what he got, mm-hmm. and it was worthless. <laughs> yeah. like, none of it was cool. So, which is why they then destroyed most of the remaining cargoes in the captured vessels. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't sink the vessels, as far as we know. They don't burn them. They leave the vessels they intact. Burnt, they burnt the cargo. They did not burn the vessels. Yeah, they burnt the cargo or Which tossed I, it I overboard. I kind of understand that. Why. Like, if you're going to make a statement... I know exactly. I, I think I have an idea why. This is another... This is another lukewarm take. Okay. Is, I want these takes spicy. I want you to really right, throw it out there. Fuck it. Spicy take. Here we go. So We're going they, full skip Bayless. <laughs> so, most of these guys are former merchant sailors. Correct. The life of a merchant sailor sucked. You are under the thumb ah, of these captains okay. and of these so, rich merchants. It's so a way of you're saying... you're providing a touch of humanity. Yeah, it's a way of saying, hey, fuck you. Interesting. So by taking all these people who clearly they're in a lot of distress because they think the pirates are going to take their cargo and saying, you know what? I don't hate it. We don't want it, but you can't have it either. It's a little... Yeah, it's a little bit of... It's a little bit of revenge. So with that last act of wanton destruction... Teach and his vessels sailed off to the north towards North Carolina's Outer Banks. And if you want to know more about what happened after that, you can go back to our first episode about the downfall of Blackbeard. And the, the redux yeah. we're going to release. Yeah. Sans, uh, we have the exact 300th anniversary coming up. We're going to do a little redux about just the battle itself. Yeah, and, and this is mostly because we had some technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is we finally got it working. So. It's not for us, it's for you. It's all for yeah. you. Uh, so finally, having been off Charleston for a little more than a week, they enter their names into the ledgers of eternity. But the thing about this is the blockade brings up so many questions. Why didn't Teach attack the town? Why didn't he stay longer? Why didn't he extort more from a desperate populace? I mean, there's still so many questions that historians have been batting around for 300 years now. And that's that's the one thing for all of the, the journals that are still there from the, mm-hmm. uh, these uh, English Navy officers. They don't really talk about that part. Yeah. So were they in his logs? Probably. I mean, he, he sailed the topsail. It's not yeah. that close. He had a couple of days to think about things and write stuff down. And Blackbeard was, one, a learned man. 
And two, a very diligent note taker. Yeah. Which you wouldn't think. Well, I think he might have heard about the opportunity for the pardon. Yeah. And he goes straight to Bath, North Which Carolina. Is kind of they needed somewhere to lay low for a mm-hmm. while, and there were whispers yeah. that this was happening. Much it like how you sense. get your car repainted in GTA. Very similar. They are going in and they're hiding in the Outer Banks. Tough place for the Royal Navy to chase them. Two fun notes after Blackbeard had left. Um, one is that he got the idea from somewhere to blockade Charleston Harbor because yeah. somebody tried. And it didn't work out. And I will leave it to you, the listener, to kind of mull this one over as to what pirate could have possibly fucked this up more. (laughs) Could it have been... Your boy, Steed! (laughs) Yeah, Steed Bonnet (laughs) attempted to blockade Charleston in... What was it, 1717? Like... It July was like or August. six months beforehand. Yeah. He was very close. But he tried to do it by himself, and <laughs> he was immediately, and I quote, set upon by armed merchants. Yeah. <laughs> so homeboy sails into the into the harbor, and everybody just they just strap up and roll out. <laughs> Technically, Steve Bonnet did blockade Charleston Harbor. But it was really for about minutes. 37 minutes. <laughs> Realistically, it was like 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, he got he got enough to get the ships away. under sail, and uh, you know these weren't big ships, but they were armed sloops that were roughly the same size as his, and definitely outnumbered him. Definitely outnumbered him. So, and another one is that in everything I've read, and in everything I, I've been able to find on Blackbeard, when it comes to Blackbeard and his captives, there's no violence. No, none. He never harmed a captive. No, he didn't. In two and a half, as terrifying he, he, as this he, man he is. He took their stuff. Yeah, I mean, he... But there was no bodily harm done. No. They, like, they might rough you up a little bit, and they, they throw you in the hold. But to a person, yeah. his It wasn't captive, a pleasant stay. I've read no. some of the Yelp reviews, and they're terrible. <laughs> two stars. They were out of the cheese pizza. Yeah. Would not recommend. <laughs> but, it, like, he didn't... He, there was no torture. There was no yeah. like it was no torture, no no serious he beatings. He freed slaves. Yeah, the man he emancipated slaves, and he's also considered like the worst pirate ever. Like he is the most notorious pirate of all time. Turns out the dude kind of solid. Yeah, which is yeah. weird because it's kind of fucking with me. You, you want to hear like, some nasty stuff? Just wait till we get about to, to guys like Lollanay and Oh, Lollanay was probably the worst. Yeah. Like so, Lollanay was like. That dude was yeah. messed up. It was like like if Carnage from Spider-Man was a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> so what does happen in Charleston is this blockade, once it's gone, once it's lifted, sets everything into high gear. Uh, guard vessels are posted in the harbor at all times. You have reinvestment and the refurbishing of uh, the town's defenses. And that did le- lead to bad times when a fellow named Steed Bonnet returned. Um, <laughs> you... Uh, yeah, you, you can you, you can go back to our episode about Steve Bonnet and hear about Colonel uh, Colonel Thomas Rhett or yeah Thomas Rhett mm-hmm. and about how when they found out Steve was nearby camping on Sullivan's Island they mounted up oh they were they, ready yeah they and, loaded and, up you know Charleston switched from being a place that had been very friendly to pirates and privateers in the past to you know really not being friendly at all uh, it, and it also kind of made Charleston a defensive powerhouse too. 
it I mean it had uh, ramifications that go all the way up to the American Revolution you know the the building of, of Fort Sullivan which became Fort Moultrie and given the English a very very bad time in 1776 we see Charleston again in the uh, Civil War yeah was the 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 most famous battle there was the the blockade in Charleston Harbor with the the Hunley yeah the, the first submarine and of course you have the firing on Fort Sumter and and all that but that's a story for a different time so yeah also good in Charleston it's a super good food and beer town though. oh yeah just yeah. for the record we're we're gonna go down there at some point we'll we'll probably do a broadcast from Charleston somewhere down the crash. road yeah so uh, that's our story of the blockading of Charleston Harbor. And the ballsiest action I think ever taken by a pirate that I can that it I can think really of. Really is like that shows some sack. Yeah, it really does. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the episode today, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we you can uh, you can contact us on our social media feeds. Chris, where can they find us? If you want to find us, well, by all means, you can find us on Twitter at podcast trr. If you want to find us on Facebook, please just go ahead and search Fees, Rogues, and Renegades. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, you can find us at TRRPod. Uh, we want to hear from you. We really do. Uh, we want to get you guys more involved. By all means, please send us an email at, uh, yeah. to TRRPod at gmail.com. Uh, now that we've kind of gotten things rolling, we've kind of figured out how we want to do this, we want your input. And we want to know what topics that you'd like us to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to know everything. We want you guys to be involved as much as possible. That's basically why we're doing what we do. So let's keep this ball rolling. Let's yeah. all have some fun. This is a podcast for the people. So, yeah, uh, you can also find us on some new platforms. We've been limited to SoundCloud since our inception. Yeah, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. So uh, where else can they find us, Chris? You can find us on the three majors. You can find us on Stitcher iTunes and Google Podcasts, which we are very, very excited and we're super proud to announce. Yeah, yeah. That, this is a big step for us. We're very, very happy with it. Of course, you can go on all three platforms and find us just by searching Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Uh, as far as my social media goes, you can find me on Instagram at Meatneck and follow me on Twitter at Meatneck2. And if you don't follow me, you can find me at Nightlife Commando. It's mostly pictures of me and the dog. Which is exceedingly fun, I assure you. That's mostly the dog. Yeah, that, that dog being, of course, our canine outreach specialist, Jack, the Golden Retriever. Uh, and, of course, on these uh, on these new platforms, please feel free to follow, rate, and review. Um, uh, it is November 12th. We want to send out a, a slightly belated, very happy Veterans Day wishes to all of those out there who have served. We, of course, appreciate your sacrifice and the sacrifice made by those of your families. We owe you a debt that cannot be repaid. Yeah, have a very happy Veterans Day, guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We think about you all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't just think about you on Veterans Day. We think about you today and every day after it as well. Yeah, and of course, we just had the 100th anniversary of the falling silence of the guns on the Western Front. Which is uh, a very big deal. Something very, very poignant to think about. Um, Um, Also... We want to say our official farewell to a great, great man, Stan Lee, swirling in the heavens as of today. Bit of a gut punch piece of news for me. I'm a big Marvel fan. Um, We're going to miss you, buddy. Yeah, Stan was always a very big influence of mine. Uh, Growing up, I I was always a very avid reader, and I really enjoyed comic books. I I know, like, even to this day, I still read them. Uh, In case you couldn't tell, Rob and I are nerds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
Very uh, much so. The one thing that, that always got me was Stan, and there was a one of his quotes was, and this is, I don't remember when the video was from, but it was just from maybe two years ago, 18 mm-hmm. months. It was recent. Uh, whenever he said that, that Marvel Comics were, they would always be commentary on the world outside your window. Yeah, and, I love that quote. And it was so good, and, and he said that, you know, that regardless of the color of your skin, your gender, regardless of anything, it would... Everybody was included, but the one thing that Stanley didn't tolerate was hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. And Stan always said we were we were part of one big family, and that Marvel was the embodiment of that family, of mm-hmm. the human family. And that's yeah. who Stan was. And and it's something I had said on on Facebook and I think on our Twitter page for uh, the Renegades of the Rotunda was that whenever I was little, I wanted to be Spider Man. And then I really wanted to be Iron Man. And then I really wanted to be Captain America. But I always really wanted to be Stan Lee. Yeah. Like, maybe the last of the universally liked dudes. Yeah. Like, Stan was a good man. Um, we can't thank you enough for letting us know that, you know, we, inside of all of us, we can be that hero. And... And thank you for believing in us. And, and you know, I was lucky enough to meet Stan. And yeah, I, was know, in a I big never had the pleasure. Great. Oh, he was amazing. He was yeah. exactly who you thought he was. He was kind of like a like a dorkier Fred Rogers. Yeah. Like, he even kind of looked like it. Like, Sam was a he was a slightly built man. He had that, like, Larry King kind of posture about him. Yeah. But every person that came up, everyone that went to the table, and it was just like a shake hands kind of event. It was like a no cameras thing. I guess you got to pay the extra hundred dollars to get your picture yeah. of Stan Lee, which, um, but every person that went up, he said, hello, hero to every person. <laughs> and that's the most charming thing in the world because to him, you were a hero. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's just a, a tremendous loss, yeah. an amazing I, human being. But 95 is an incredible run. Yeah, it's not really like, is it a ripe old age, and uh, it's it's a hell of a life to uh, hell of a life to be looked back on, and a wonderful, wonderful legacy to be celebrated. And to you, Stan, we raise our beers and we say, Excelsior! Excelsior! Um, and really quickly before we go, just uh, sending out our thoughts to all of our friends out in California right now. They're having a rough go of it. Um, just want you all to know that we're thinking about you. Stay safe, and. Uh, you know, we're, we're here thinking about you. Um, so apart from that, everybody, please stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be shining a little bit of a spotlight on some of history's misconceptions about pirate ships. Most of the uh, portrayals of them in movies, TV, books, not quite close to the truth. So we're going to illuminate. It turns out illuminate. the most historically accurate movie was Cutthroat Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, that might actually be a worse portrayal of life on the open ocean than Cabin Boy. Uh, uh, we're going to have a debate episode about that. So, but yeah, it's stay tuned be, for pirate ships, facts closer versus than fiction. You think. Next time, to everybody out there, have a good time. If you don't hear from us before uh, the holiday, everybody have a very happy Thanksgiving. Try not to kill your family members. Uh, eat some tasty food, and until we hear, you, hey, be the hero that Stanley yeah. thinks you could have been. And until we see you again, hold fast.